the lead down the stretch. Detroit had a wide receiver, backup wide receiver by the name of Chuck Hughes, a pretty good player from uh, UTEP, although it was still called Texas Western at the time. He had caught a pass earlier, and on one play late in the game, he was a decoy, went out, made the cut, pass wasn't thrown to him. Trotting back to the huddle, he went down to his knees, clutching his chest, and immediately fell down. And right there in front of Dick Butkus, of all people, and Butkus saw what was happening immediately and signaled to both sides, get in here now. This is, this is an emergency. He was suffering what turned out to be a fatal heart attack on the field. And the postmortem showed that Chuck Hughes had about a 75 to 80% blockage of one of the main arteries, and nobody had detected it. So his was a legitimate car- <clears throat> yes, cardiac arrest, that is true, but his was an a, uh, a underlying situation that had caused his uh, fatal uh, circumstance. St. Louis Ram, I'm sorry, St. Louis Cardinals. St. Louis Cardinals in 1979 in training camp just in Earth City, I think, just outside St. Louis. Hot day late in July at a tight end from Colorado named J.V. Kane, who was a very, very good player. Died right there, in the, right there on the field, the practice field. He had Marfan syndrome, which is, again, a narrowing of the aorta. And that's a congenital situation. Third one that I remember very well is Hank Gathers, Loyola Marymount in 1991, and his episode, which was a cardiac arrest, happened right on television. Mm-hmm. Loyola Marymount, which had, you guys are too young to remember, but they had the highest scoring team in America, and they, they played no defense, none. I remember the one NCAA game, they beat Michigan 140 to 110 in regulation. Right. I mean, these guys are running up and down the court, and Gathers and Bo Kimball were among the best in the country. Now, eventually, Duke shut them down, but they're playing a game in a conference semifinal, conference tournament semifinal, and Gathers, who's a number one draft choice, big kid, tall, thin, great player, great scorer, started convulsing and fell to the floor, and he was having what turned out to be a fatal heart attack right there. Again, this was an underlying cause. In terms of the blow to the chest, no, I've not seen that happen uh, in any kind of professional sports ever. It can happen, of course, mostly in baseball and hockey, but it can happen in football, although this certainly did not appear to be all that significant a blow when you take a look at it. That's why I wonder if maybe there isn't some kind of other cause. But, again, we'll find that out. The bottom line is this. The young man is apparently going to recover and maybe regain full health. We certainly hope so. What's your thoughts on the way that all of it was handled? Well, you're talking about the media? Well, no, no, I'm not talking about the media. I'm talking about the NFL and, uh, well, all of it. I mean, did the well, NFL, the, ESPN, the coverage, how, how, what was your thoughts on it while you were watching it all unfold? The NFL had no option. I, 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 when they said, uh, when Joe Buck said, well, we're going to restart the game in five minutes, you've got to be kidding me. You can't restart something like this with a tragedy like that. You can't. Turns out that was a false piece of information. In terms of the NFL handling this and the formula they've come up with, I don't see where they anything wrong with it at all. I think it's the only logical choice they could have had. A championship game, if it does come down to that, and that's not a given. Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs, yes, neutral site. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs, neutral site if it's a championship. But 
again, where where do you draw? The, this is uncharted waters. You have to have an even field in many respects because these teams did play each other during the regular season. I think what's happened is is the fair thing. If the Chiefs win today, they get the bye. And that's really a good, pretty good trade-off because the championship game is going to be at a neutral site if they play the Buffalo Bills. All of this is moot because we'll have to see what happens in the final weekend of action. In terms of the media coverage, well, <laughs> hindsight is twenty twenty, so I'm not going to get into that. But let's just say I think it could have been a lot better. Well, it, it's a tough situation because – as you pointed out before we went on the air, most of these people are pretty scripted. And so when they get off script, they get very uncomfortable. Exceedingly uncomfortable. And therein lies the problem. And I shouldn't be talking about this, but I am. The problem with today's media, because they aren't trained to do that. They haven't grown up in radio and gotten a radio background. They don't have the Ability to ad-lib and talk off the top of their head from experience. Oh, my God. Some of the stuff that I saw on TV was simply uncalled for. And But over and above that, it happened. I'd say maybe it's a learning experience because you need to be a whole hell of a lot better trained than some of those people are. Alex Scott, what did you think? You know, watching it, it's for me personally, it was the first time I've ever seen anything quite this serious. I've seen some real nasty injuries happen on a football field. And even with that, you can often see the players just, you know, they're hanging their heads. They're they're upset about it, but they know he's going to recover. We got a game to play. And you could tell almost immediately when this happened, it's, you know, you start hearing news, they're administering CPR. You start seeing the way the Bills players are reacting. The Bengals are coming off their sideline. Just something was really, really wrong. And I think the NFL did a good job getting the game canceled or at least delayed that night in a way they could. I People were complaining it took longer than it needed to. That I can't imagine it's a process that's quick, and I would be willing to bet the Bengals and Bills knew at least a good half hour before we did that that game was not going to resume so they could get, start getting prepared to go to the hospital and be with DeMar. Ultimately, the most important thing is the, the updates we're getting on his health, seeing that he's doing better, he was able to communicate with the team yesterday. That's what's most important, and now everything else that happens, you know, unprecedented times call for unprecedented measures and I think it's a pretty good balance the fact that the Chiefs can still get that bye week even if it's a neutral site you know they Buffalo very easily could have won that game and Kansas City would have been the two seed so they don't get entirely you know they don't get the short end of the stick the full way but compromise is compromise can't get everything you want Josh Roberts well the first thing I'll say is I am very impressed with the uh, medical staff that was on site because they saved that guy's life. Yeah. Because he died twice on the field, apparently. They did CPR f- twice to revive him, to resuscitate him. So that's amazing. So I give them kudos, credit, whatever. Give them all raises. Somebody <laughs> posted on the Internet, uh, the people making the least amount of money on that field saved somebody's life th- tonight. So, and I, you know, medical personnel, these guys, they stand on the field hoping nothing happens, but when it does, I mean, they were there, they were there fast, they saved his life, they got him to a hospital, they should, all of them should be commended. Um, The players and the coaches, I am, I'm impressed with the way that, that they conducted themselves, and they were the ones that said, this game is not going to continue, from what I understand. 
I'm not saying that the NFL was adamant about starting the game again, but the coaches themselves said it's not going to happen. So I think that's important to to realize that they all were they all realized they were in a situation that was so much more dire than playing a game that they were able to let it go. And then as far as the NFL handling things post, I'm I'm satisfied with that. I mean, it is a compromise, and I think it's the fairest compromise that they could come up with. I agree with you there, Ned. And I think that there's there was no other situation that could be uh, laid out that would be fair enough. So I think they did great there. Just a bit of an addition to what you said, and I hear here you're absolutely right about the trainers on the field and all that. That exists with every EMT in this country. Yes. They're all trained to do that, and it is. It's not the prettiest sight in all the world to see a guy resuscitated on the field. Your body goes through a jolt and oh, all yeah. that. But they're accustomed to it. They do know how to do it. Every place in the world has these resuscitation units in place now, and that's a that's a big, big deal. It's a big key. It really it, is. It is. It's a huge, and it did save this man's life. Yeah. Let's uh, – let me be the devil's advocate here about this post NFL, the way all this has been handled. I, we, uh, Alec and I have the advantage of seeing each other on a daily basis. So we talked a lot about it. There was a couple of different plans floated. One was that they would cancel the pro bowl and shift everything back a week to allow the game to be played. Another was to not have a buy at all, that there would be an extra playoff game and all the teams would go in and not have the buy and play. And I will tell you this, uh, I, I heard yesterday through the grapevine that Kansas City, the city itself, was quite unhappy with the results of the NFL's decision because they feel like that they've been jobbed out of getting what many people would consider to be the Super Bowl for a city. <laughs> and that would be an, an, championship an, an, an NFC champ- or AFC championship game. I don't think there's any other way to solve the situation. And again, this may be an all moot point totally, uh, depending on what happens this weekend. But assuming that it's not, and assuming that both teams get through their first round play and, and, and the Bills first and second round play in the uh, playoffs, uh, assuming that happens and they play each other, Hey, Buffalo beat Kansas City in the regular season. Cincinnati beat Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Well, the records are going to be different because of this most unusual situation. I think it's fair what they did, give them a neutral site, and sure, the fans are going to be at a bit of a disadvantage for both teams. So I don't think anybody has any I, – I don't think it's fair to have uh, said, no, one team gets an advantage over the other. You're going to find this, whatever the circumstances are. But in this case, I think it's very equitable. I would have gone with the baseball route that both teams had the ball, game over, Cincinnati wins 7-3, to win, loss. Well, except that there's three quarters still to go. <laughs> well, you know, it's just that way with the baseball game, though. If you get past a certain point, it, it is a game, but they don't have that determination rule in football. It's right? five and a half innings in baseball until you get into critical situations yeah. where Major League Baseball does have the authority. Incidentally, uh, canceling that Las Vegas uh, Pro Bowl thing, I think the NFL is exceedingly reluctant to do that because they put a lot of money in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's a showcase for the National Football League. The Pro Bowl game this year is a flag football game, <laughs> Let's just which get is rid of that. bogus in its own right. But I, you do have a lot of people who've spent a lot of advertising money out there, and then to have that go away, I think they're exceedingly reluctant to do that. I think it'd be, I think Kansas City would have 
and the fan base or the city would have more right to be upset if they controlled their own destiny going into last week. But if Buffalo had won out, Kansas City doesn't get the AFC Championship game. So it's not as if they were robbed of an opportunity per se, because we don't know how that game was going to end. Um, but at this point, again, you know, a shoe on other foot is how I like to think of it. Like if, if something like that happened to a Kansas City Chief player, you wouldn't expect that team to go out and keep playing that night. You would you would want these same concessions if it happened to you. Sure. So I sure. think it's only it's only fair to step back and say this was a terrible situation. Let's just get through it. And you know these teams are confident enough in themselves as well. I'd say they'd say your house, our house, their house, someone else's house, whoever, wherever we're at, we can beat you on any field. Yeah, but that's not the fan base though. That's uh, you're you're separating out the team from the fan base True. and the fan base in Kansas city is, is rabid, you know, hardcore fan base. And I'm not saying they're better or worse than any other fan base in the NFL, but I, you know, being around those folks, you, every time the chiefs lose, what's the first thing you guys hear officiating the oh, league yeah. has it out. That official has it out for the chiefs. Mike, <laughs> the intern can lay out the officials and what games they've officiated in and how they've screwed the chiefs over. <laughs> and I, I, I was reading before we went on the air, I went to one of the chiefs websites and it, it, the article was, it was a pretty well written article, but it was written totally like Mike, the intern would have written the article or other people that I know that are huge chiefs fans. Mike, I know you're listening to this. Joe Weston, he W E S T. Yeah, he's in Vegas. He's he, in Vegas right he's now. He's listening to us. I promise you. He's in Vegas right now. He's out there with a bunch of uh, Chiefs fans that uh, went out there to watch the game at the Circa Casino uh, Hotel and Resort. If you haven't seen the pictures, Mike's posted on Instagram. Have you got a chance to look any of those guys look at those? That's an amazing thing. I mean, it is actually like stadium seating with the big screen. That's cool. And a pool in front of the seats so you can watch the game, dive in, swim around. How much did it cost? $4 billion or something like (laughs) that? Yeah. They just keep getting more and more expensive. A great great place to uh, take in a game. Let's let's stop right here and and talk about the way the Chiefs played last week because – to me, you're seeing a team that may not have to worry about this at all. Right. Because they're not playing very good football right now. Ned, what was your take on last week's game? I thought they were very mediocre, in all honesty. Here's a team that they should have run out of the ballpark. Now, two weeks ago when they played the Seahawks, it was a similar situation except that Seattle really really didn't have an opportunity to get back into it because Kansas City's defense was so good. Broncos, different story. Broncos came in, and I think – pointed this out very well divisional rivalries throw it out the window because oh, yeah. anything can happen and what is today's game division a rival. division mm-hmm. rival and a, a despised division rival by both sides that's why i think this is a this is a dangerous game for the chiefs if if they don't t- take things seriously and i don't mean that they're not going to concentrate or anything like that these are pro athletes and they will go out and give it their all but for some reason, this team just simply hasn't been clicking the way we thought they should have. Now, maybe that's the way it's going to be. Maybe that's the nature of this team. But it doesn't appear to be on paper the way it should be. And I wonder whether or not that – let me put it this way. I think this is a trap game. Okay. 
All right, Alec, your thoughts? Did you watch the game at all? I didn't get a chance to. I was driving back from Columbia last weekend when the game was on, but I was following everything that was happening. And, you know, it. the theme here of the past month has typically been, you know, what what opponent are they playing? Doesn't matter. It's going to be a tight game. Um it comes down to the winning games, finding ways to win games. That's what that's what good teams do. Even if, you know, you expect it to be a blowout, you expect it to be, you know, ugly for the other side. That's what you, you know, you'll want to see. You want to see a dominant performance. But this Chiefs team so far just hasn't been able to find that. And, you know, part of that could be what a defense is doing. Part of that could be working through through things on their own end. That being said, I I would be worried, you know, today's not a gimme, but if you need a motivator, win and you get that bye week, I think this would be a good time for them to showcase and get back to what they know they're made of. Josh? Well, we've been talking about this the last few weeks. They've been playing mediocre opponents, lesser opponents, opponents with bad records, and they're playing down to their ability. They're, these games are close because the Chiefs are not performing at the level that they've performed this season. And it's disappointing because I want, I would love to see them dominate these. These are the teams they should be beating by thirty points, and they're winning by three in overtime. Their average, their average differential over the last four games has been five points. Yeah, and that's not that's not going to do it in the playoffs because the problem is, if if, and I'm not saying they're doing this, but if they're coasting because they can coast. That is not good going into the playoffs. You need momentum. You need confidence. It's just like we talk about in baseball. The team that plays hot going into the playoffs often gets deep into the playoffs because of that momentum. These guys don't have any momentum going into the playoffs right now. And the only thing they have to play for today is to get that first round by, which I hope that they that that's important enough to them. But the Raiders, the Raiders are here to disrupt. That's what the Raiders-Chiefs rivalry is. It's disruption. It's chaos. And that's what the Raiders do, and they do it well. <laughs> well, I, the Raiders are getting – we've said this last year. We'll probably say it again next year. Raiders are in disarray mm-hmm. right now. Uh, Josh McDaniel's been a little bit of a disappointment as the head coach. He's not come and changed the culture right away like everybody wants to see. Derek Carr, his time in Las Vegas is apparently over. They've gone. They've turned the page to a new quarterback temporarily. I would think that they will probably be in play for a maybe a trade or a draft pick in the uh, in the off season. And you would think they really don't have much to play for. But as we've all talked about, it is a divisional game, and it's important to some level. What do you, Ned, what do you think we'll see from the Raiders? I today? think you'll see a determined effort by the the Raiders. It is playing at home. They're they're not playing for anything. This is it, the final game for the Raiders at uh, Allegiant Stadium, Allegiant Field. But the the fact of the matter remains that this is this is not all that bad a team. Now you say they haven't played to what the expectations are, and that is true. They have not, but they have also had catastrophic injuries on their defense, and their defense, folks, is one of the poorest in the NFL. That's why I think the Chiefs come out throwing the ball today because the defensive backfield they're going up against is not among the best. I look for perhaps a high-scoring football game today. The Chiefs may be forced to score because I think the Raiders can. Stidham had a great game against the San Francisco 49ers, one of the top defensive teams in pro football, overtime game last week. And uh, there's every reason to think that he could play well this week against the Chiefs team that is good, number a very good defensive unit. 
But again, there's so many variables involved, and one of which is determination. And I'm not so sure. This is the Raiders we're talking about, and they would love nothing better than to make things miserable for Kansas City. You know what scares me the most about this whole thing is when they start throwing out these streaks and numbers. I think of Patrick Mahomes is at 15. 15 and 0. 15 and 0 against division rivals in on the road on the road and of course he had he still maintains the other big one which he's not lost in november or december in his career but when you start throwing those numbers out those streaks eventually have to be snapped well it's almost like they're jinxing the players (laughs) and jinxing these streaks every time they mention one that oh but just ended okay well let's move on to the next you mean to tell me that you think the media would resort to something like that (laughs) oh it's good media isn't it when we come back we'll talk more football you're listening to ned talk and you're 40 minutes away from the start of the chiefs pregame show You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Mics were live that time, by the way. And so I passed it along to you. Jake Gillette, who's blaming his alarm clock now is complaining at us via text about the home field advantage. That's the reason why we wanted you on the show, Jake, so you could talk about things like that, so you could be our our rabid Chiefs fan. But the alarm clock did not go off this morning, so Jake is not here, and he can't share with us. So he's just li- has to listen to us go, you're wrong, you know? Yeah. He's, he's live-tweeting our show right now, so <laughs> just sending it straight to our phones. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot to be uh, played for today besides what's going on in the AFC West. Uh, A team that's really surprised me is Jacksonville Jaguars. They have played extremely well. That later game, actually, um, a lot on the line because those two teams playing each other for the chance to go into the playoffs. Don't sell uh, Trevor Lawrence short. I mean, this is a guy who's really coming on, and and that organization is coming on. They have new leadership down there, and the – Influx of younger talent, I think, is really coming to the fore here. Jacksonville can play. I thought, I really felt for sure they'd go into Houston last week and get it handed to them, and instead they were the ones doing the handing. My goodness sakes. And, the you know, the Houston Texans are getting a little bit better, but it is microscopic compared to what Jacksonville's doing. I, I like the way they play. I think big props to Doug Peterson. You know, he led Philadelphia to a Super Bowl. You know, sure he did. gets down there with Trevor. And I've said on this show before, in terms of Trevor Lawrence, throw last year out the window, that whole mess with Urban Meyer, I just moved that from his record. This is effectively his first season with a competent coach and staff around him. <laughs> yep. um, Urban, Meyer. Urban Meyer is, anyway, Look, old, old news. But it is hard. It's very hard for college coaches to translate into the NFL because in college the, the coach is the big dog and everybody – Shows him respect and is is compl- I don't know the term, but then when you take that coach and put them in the NFL, you're no longer the big dog. You're just the coach, and the players are the big dogs. And so a lot of college coaches can't make that transition. Nick Saban couldn't do it. The Jesus of 
of college, college football really. coaches couldn't do it. Urban oh. Meyer couldn't do it. It wasn't the right situation, no, Josh. I think that's just, the phrase no, you're looking for. No, these guys are not good pro coaches. Even Lou Holtz wasn't a good pro coach either. So it doesn't always work. Jimmy Johnson is the exception, not the rule. So I agree with you. This You could throw that out the window with Urban Meyer because he, he was terrible. Trevor Lawrence was great in college. And oftentimes that doesn't translate well into the pros either. But he has the talent. It just takes a while to redevelop or change that talent into an NFL talent. But, yeah, he's, that's what he's showing right now. Tell you what it is. It's a different concept in in uh, articulating with players. Right. The pro players, hey, they're all making more money than the coaches. So you draw that you draw that parallel. But by the same token, these are mature individuals, and you're dealing with them. You're dealing with them on an adult basis and not a not a professor student relationship, True. which you would be in college. Mm-hmm. It's a different tact altogether. Andy Reid is spectacular at doing this. He knows he's dealing with human beings who are older, adults, individuals who can take criticism at a certain point and some who can't. But by the same token, it's how you are able to translate your thoughts into what a player, an adult player, is willing to do and willing to manifest on the field. We're on this road, so let's let's continue down this, this sidetrack. The rumor is this last week John Harbaugh is willing to listen to professional jobs again. What do you think? There is a reason why he is, too, and that's because the University of Michigan may be in big-time trouble with the NCAA. They say, wait a minute, under nil and transfer portal, how can you be be in trouble? Everything's legal now. No, everything isn't legal. There are some distinct recruiting violations, and nobody knew about this until just the other day when the letter of infractions came from the NCAA to Ann Arbor. Harbaugh did know about it. He knew about it ahead of time. And so now he's more than amenable to listening to maybe some of the pro offers. What do you think is the right situation for John Harbaugh? Jail. (laughs) (laughs) It, again, depends on what the level of circumstances are. And it's obviously a recruiting series of recruiting violations, including the most. Now, you put them on the NCAA lumps them into numerical categories like a one violation or a two violation, three and four and so forth. The number one is the most serious. And Harbaugh himself, according to the reports, has been issued a number one violation or several one violations on, I think it's unethical conduct or something Mm -hmm. like that. But whatever it is, they are damning violations. If proven to be the case, O-U-T. John Harbaugh, do something wrong like that? (laughs) I think you find the inverse to be true, too, when you're dealing with guys who go from the NFL, because Harbaugh had a lot of success in the NFL. True. He wasn't a popular guy with his team, and that's the reason why he's not in the NFL anymore. And he left because that San Francisco team that he coached was very good. They're one of the best defensive teams I've seen in a long time because they were really good at tackling, which is an art that's lost in football these days. Mm-hmm. He went to Michigan. It's, take some, it's taken some time to get that program on its feet. But you do often see these guys who go from the NFL to college that they have difficulty with all the rules. Well, oh. that, and, and rightfully so, or understandably so, because that rule book is so very complicated. The NC, it, It's a volume. My goodness sake, I have a friend here in town who's a retired investigator from the NCAA. He says, my gosh, you can't believe all the numbers of rules and so forth and so on. Many of them 
In fact, probably the multitude of them, <clears throat> excuse me, are are limited in their violation. But there are some that are very serious, and apparently, at least judging by the reports, the ones issued against Michigan are of serious consequence. So, any thoughts from any of you? Um, what would be a good situation other than jail or prison for John Harbar? Which team rings out to you that's going to be looking for a coach in the off season? I think I think we kind of need to see where the chips fall with you know Sean. Payton. I think as they call Sean Payton and uh, what do they call it Black Monday in the NFL uh-huh. this yeah. upcoming uh-huh. Monday where we coaches our jobs are going to get lost. But you know there's a there's a track record in college for sanctions approaching towards a school and the coach deciding now's a good time for me to you know Pete see Carroll. Uh, Thank Ur- you, Urban Meyer. <laughs> so, bringing this conversation back around, yeah, but yeah, exactly. it, um, I I want to see what options are open to him. I think you know, one way or the other, he, I think Jim Harbaugh can coach. I think he he had a good team in San Francisco. He's got this Michigan team. You know, they maybe have not lived up to it some years, but they've been competitive. So, I think you he's a guy maybe you'd want to give a shot, but. I don't. I don't know yet what the opportunities are going to look like, just because we need to see more, <coughs> more opportunities open up. Really quickly, uh, because we are running short on time, but let's talk about this. Arizona likely to make a change. Atlanta a possibility. Carolina a possibility. New Orleans a possibility. I uh, don't see anything happening in Green Bay or Detroit. Possibly Chicago. I don't see anything happening in the NFC East. I think all those coaches are safe. Denver, obviously, that's a team that's going to be looking for a new coach. Houston, Indianapolis, I don't think Jeff Saturday gets that job. What do you guys think? Probably no. not, because he was an interim to begin with. Uh, I, the Arizona one, I think, does open up. Cliff uh, Kingsbury really hasn't, of course, they've had injury problems, too. That's been one of their big problems. But they still, you overcome that in the NFL. It's part of the game. And they haven't been able to do so. I think they're probably looking to replace him. Kingsbury, I would. I think that'd be a plum job to have with the Arizona Cardinals because, in my opinion, they have a lot of talent. Denver Broncos, obviously, going to make a choice, in my opinion. And uh, who knows, there, there may be some others along the line. But to, again, you don't know, you don't know the variables that are involved with each team. Uh, but the ones that you just named, Joe, I think are probably – legitimate candidates i could see the afc south being hit hard because houston indianapolis tennessee all might make changes yeah and i think houston going into this year lovey smith was a it was a known deal i think lovey was only going to be the head coach for one maybe two years and they're looking at that number one pick so if you like that quarterback that you could take at number one and are in for a rebuild that could be an appealing spot harbaugh played for the bears and for indianapolis so i bet he goes to one of those two if he goes anywhere interesting we'll see how it plays out monday will be a uh, rather interesting day when we come back we'll talk about the national championship game which is coming up on monday ned talk 104.7 the cave you're listening to ned talk on 104.7 the cave part of the kansas city chiefs radio network back to ned talk on 104.7, The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. 17 minutes away from the start of the Chiefs pregame show, a little over an hour and a half away from the start of the Chiefs and the Raiders from Las Vegas. Mike, the intern, has posted some beautiful photos <laughs> on his Instagram page of the Circa Casino and 
resort where he's hanging out, watching the game with some other Chiefs fans today. Lot to talk about. Uh, I wish actually we got on the air a little bit earlier because we do have so much to talk about today. I don't think we're giving anything a good service. There's so much going on college basketball. Uh, there's baseball stories still to be talked about. There's a, a ton of football we could talk about, but the national championship game is coming up on Monday. TCU, Georgia. And what do we think? What's your thoughts? Well, Texas Christian has played very well. They're a Cinderella team, yes, but they're a very, very good Cinderella team. And I don't think midnight has struck for them yet. The point spread in this one is 12 and a half points in favor of Georgia. Boy, I'm taking those points, guys. I think that's – no, the game's going to be a lot closer than that, in my opinion. And I wouldn't sell a TCU win short in this one. Mm-hmm. Nice victory against Michigan. Michigan's a good team. Harbaugh has yeah. himself a very good team. I was very disappointed in their O-line, which was supposed to be the best in America. and looked like the best in America when they played uh, New Year's Eve. But by the same token, Max Duggan and TCU is a really solid football team in every respect. Sonny Dykes has done a great job with this team. They're good, and I predict them to predict a winner, but they, they will give, in my opinion, Georgia a very tough time. Alec, your thoughts? You know, I... I would agree with you there. I do think TCU has shown you know, there was a lot of question of are they can they hang with the quote unquote big teams, the big guys, and they showed up and they showed that they can do that against a you know they they can move the ball I think against just about anybody. That offensive, their skill players, their O line can stand up to it, and that's going to be the big test though because Georgia's defensive line runs deep with NFL talent. They presume potential number one defensive player. I'm the, one of their defensive tackles coming out of there, and then plus many more. I mean, last year that defense had, I think, 10 guys drafted, and all they did was come out and have the number one defense. <laughs> so that team has depth. That team has experience. I Fun fact for this week that I saw is that Stetson Bennett is as old as Josh Allen, which is a crazy thing to imagine that he's still playing. Oh, wow. He's been around there for a while, guys. But you can't – you know, and while – on the one hand, that probably says he might not have an NFL future per se. On the other hand, that experience carries a lot. He's been here before, and he's not. They're not going to be intimidated by the stage. But I, again, twelve and a half points. That's too much. This game's going to be tight, and I think we're going to have real. It's going to be a good one. I think both these teams are going to show up. Josh, let me beg to differ here. He's going to stand up on his uh, soapbox. Get me out, let me get on my SEC soapbox for a minute. Uh, I I don't think that point spread is too big. I think Georgia will dominate this game. Uh, TCU, I'm very impressed with their play. They don't deserve to be in the Final Four because they lost their championship game, but whatever. They didn't want to drop them out, so they put them in, and they made good. They beat a really good Michigan team, like you said. They deserve to be in the national championship, but Georgia is Georgia. Like you said, Georgia has the experience. Kirby Smart is a defensive guru he was at Alabama that's why their defense was so good he has carried that over to Georgia Georgia will dominate this game because the game against Ohio State was their eye-opener it was too close they didn't dominate they had to come back to win this is going to be a blowout not only did they not dominate they almost didn't win the game it's a one-point game was it 45-44 I think that's what it was you mean to tell me and they had to come back to do that you're going to tell me that Georgia has a great defensive team in Ohio State, but 44 points on the board against them? Yes. Now, come on, Josh. Ohio State's <laughs> not that good. I, I know. Think, Ohio I think Georgia, State's not that good. But I think Georgia has looked 
like a flawed football team. Earlier this year, everybody said, best team in college football, perfect football team. They're going to repeat again. You're not seeing that at the end of the season, though. I'm, I'm saying it now, though. They've, okay, so here's the thing. Yes, the, the season was rough on them. They they had to fight to get where they are. They, they played teams, teams as opposed to Ohio State and Alabama. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, Georgia had a tough schedule. Ohio State didn't. TCU didn't. Now, 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 Michigan now, didn't. now, 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 now. But anyway, now. Just, just mark my words here. Georgia will dominate this game. What's the final score? I'm going to say 42 to 20. What's your what's your pick? I think Georgia will win it, but I'm going to say something in the effect of uh, maybe 42 to 38, somewhere around there. Alec? We need one TCU guy on the show, right? So I'm going to go ahead and throw my hat in with the Horned Frogs, but I think it will also be high scoring because that's the nature of college football nowadays, it seems to be, unless it's – two SEC teams meeting up because those sometimes stay low. <laughs> That's true. I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to be 48-42 to 42 TCU. TCU. Okay. I'd take TCU 51-42. Okay. And wow. I, so what's the over-under on the time of the game? Four, four and a half hours? I thought you were going to ask the score because 62 in the score. Uh, yeah, because of all the network commercials that you're going to have in there. Well, and just so much scoring causes those games to be so much longer. Like it'll be longer. Now, I'm always shocked go, by how going long. Going on record long. again, and I've said this before, the best team is not playing. The best team down the stretch, now I know. Roll people, Tide. Roll Tide, guys. <laughs> Alabama is really, really I know. Thank you, Two man. losses on the year and all that sort of thing, but. They took apart a, a very, very, very good Kansas State team. They took beat the number 10 team in the nation. whoop de doo <laughs> Okay. whoop de number two team in the na- that The number two team in the nation lost to. But they beat them earlier in the year. Okay. And with six and a half minutes to go in the basketball game, seven Alabama is beating the tar out of one of the storied teams in America, Kentucky, 68-41. to 41. You've got to be kidding me. What is this? When we come back, we'll have our picks for today's game. It's Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Just about, uh, well, we have five minutes away from the start of the Chiefs pregame shows. I'm able to read the clock correctly today. Joe Weston, Ned Reynolds, Alex Scott, Josh Roberts. Quickly, Ned, I didn't hear this story. Uh, Bobby Petrino. Well, that's a new record for him leaving a job, isn't it? He was it? there for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks at Nevada, Las Vegas, and yeah. And now, again, having said that, you're like, what on earth? This may have all been prearranged. I don't know. I don't know any of the, the innards involved with this. But, yeah, he's now the new offensive coach at Texas A&M for <laughs> a whole lot more money than he was going to make at UNLV. That's why I say he may have gone in with the understanding, hey, look, I may take another job. It's still in the offing. Do you still want me? Yeah just in case it doesn't happen. Again, I, it's a guess. I don't know that. But the bottom line we do know is that he was out there at UNLV from December the 15th until January 2nd or 3rd, yeah. whenever this broke. hope and he I, didn't buy a house. I'm going to say it's horse feathers because I can't say what I really want to say. <laughs> 
Does his wife even unpack? I mean, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. She may not have even moved. They may still be here. They're still here. <laughs> yeah. Bobby, just please give me a heads up. I mean, they, his, he must get like Christmas gifts from movie companies. <laughs> All right, it's time for our picks, and we are going to start with Mr. Reynolds. What is your pick for today's game? Well, we've been downplaying the Chiefs all show long, and I'm not going to do that. I do think Kansas City wins the game, wins their season finale, and then gets the first-round bye. May not be easy because I think the Raiders are going to go out and stick them as hard as they can, but I'm not sure the Raiders have the overall strength to be able to withstand a Patrick Mahomes attack. I do think the Chiefs come out throwing the ball as opposed to running it and uh, playing a conservative game. I think Kansas City wins, and I'll say Chiefs 34, Raiders 28. Before we uh, get on to the rest of the picks, let's just bring everybody up to date on the latest Chiefs news, too, because this is important. Harrison Butker will not play in the game today. Matthew Wright, who kicked for the Chiefs earlier in the season, will be back, and he will be doing the kicking duties today. I think he, he did a decent job with the Chiefs before. He actually, uh, I think everybody said that they feel like there's something wrong with Harrison Butker. Joe Tooney is questionable for today's game. McCall Hardiman is questionable for today's game. Sky Moore is already out. Two players have been brought up from the uh, taxi squad. So there, that's a little more All information. Right. I, with that knowledge now, the new kicker in the ball game. Instead of 34-28, will be the ah, There you go. <laughs> All right, Alec, what about you? Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a close game. I think nothing, the only thing that motivates a team more than their own success is watching their rival's failure. And if you get that opportunity to play spoiler, they're going to relish in that. But I think the, the, the better team wins as long as they can withstand and contain Josh Jacobs then I think they come out on top. I think too much offense for Kansas City, and they do end up winning. I'm going to say 31-23. What's the point spread? It is nine and a half. In favor of Kansas Chiefs. City? Mm-hmm. Oof. Um, Oof. I'm going to say the Chiefs win. Bum, bum, this bum. is radio. We need to Yeah, I know. It. I'm trying to <laughs> – the Chiefs are going to score 42. It's 42 to 30. 42 to 30. You think they wow. covered the spread? They're going to cover the spread because nobody thinks they will. I I think the Chiefs will do less than 30 points in this game mm-hmm. because they've done less than 30 for quite a while here. They've 30 or less the last three games. But, Joe, just as a point, if, if they're under 30 in this game, they stand a chance of losing it. Well, I think 30 to 12. I really do. Ooh, I think the Chiefs. I think nice. the Chiefs' defense will play a little bit better today. I'm still really concerned about how they play defensively because one week they look like a dominating kind of defensive football team, and the next week they look like Swiss cheese. Mm-hmm. So be I interesting agree. to see how it all plays out. Kickoff for the games right around 3.15, and the pregame show starts in about a minute. And I want to say thanks to you guys for being here. Dad. Can I throw in one quick word? One quick word. Our one best, quick one. Our best Art Haynes. Yes, always our best yes. Art Haynes. That goes without saying each and every week. We don't know when we'll be on next week or if we'll be on next week. As soon as we find out, Mike the Intern and Ned Reynolds will pass that along to you. They do the morning show together. They have the news updates at 720 and 820. And the Ned's with us throughout the day. Josh, Alec, thanks for being here. Thanks to Nick Fury. Corbin Campbell, Mike the Intern, and Brian Tyndall enjoy the game on 104.7 The Cave.